Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Corey of BP Boston. Matt, how are you, buddy? I'm hanging in there, Jake. Hanging in there. How are you? I am good. Uh, I'm better than you because I'm not a Caps fan. Not that I'm better than you, but I'm doing better no, than you, you are, are, uh, you are because I'm not a Caps fan. <laughs> you, are, you are better than me, and you are feeling better than me. You are both of those. <laughs> you are too kind, sir. Um, yeah, so uh, to, to offset your, your sadness about the Caps, um, we have some really good stuff to talk about today. Um, the first thing I want to lead with is we had day baseball today. So as we record this at 5.40 p.m. on the East Coast time, um, we have a win in the books for the Sox. Uh, they close out their road trip 3-3 three and three versus the Twins uh, in the Milwaukee Brewers. And today's game was pretty awesome. Um, we got a gem of a start from Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, who seems like he has officially broken out. I don't know if we can say that quite yet, but I'll, I'll get your take on that in a second. Um, and then we also have Craig Kimbrell um, continuing to be uh, just about as good as Craig Kimbrell has ever been in his career this year. Um, and John Farrell is using him in incredibly interesting and previously unthought of ways, uh, especially by us. Um, so we have lots of things to unpack. And we also got a game-winning Mookie Betts home run, which we just like mentioned third because obviously we expect that crap by now. But let's lead with Eduardo here. Um, you've seen him a bunch this season. Do you think that he is actually turned the corner and broken out in Eduardo that we're seeing now is the Eduardo that we should expect to see going forward? Um, it's hard to say with young pitchers. Uh, I, I am very optimistic about, about Eduardo being, you know, a, a, a number two or number three, um, in this rotation. Um, but that said, you know, he's never thrown a ton of innings, uh, in any, in, you know, given season before, I think the most he's ever thrown, um, let's see, last year he threw 107 innings for the Red Sox and 38 in uh, AAA. So whatever that comes out to be, 145 innings. Um, and that's the most he's ever thrown. So it's a great start to the year. You know, his strikeouts are up. Um, his walks are up a real little bit, but I wouldn't be concerned about it. Um, I mean, mostly, I just think he's doing a fantastic job of, of commanding his pitches. Um, you know, that changeup looks devastating today. He was just getting swings and misses with it uh, over and over and over from the Brewers. Um, and he's, uh, yeah, he's he's an exciting, you know, intriguing guy. And, you know, when you look at the, the Red Sox rotation, um, there's not a lot of guys that you would expect to take a step forward, you know. Um, Although I guess Chris Sale's sort of done that, and we can talk about that later. But um, you know, we kind of know who Pomerantz is. You know, at this point, if David Price is even going to pitch, um, you know, probably the the up, uh, you know, the best case scenario is is last year's version of David Price, uh, who was maybe a little unlucky, uh, but also not ace level David Price. Um, Anyway, but but uh, I think Rodriguez is is definitely an, an intriguing, uh, uh, you know, guy and and a uh, you know a, a source of I I'll put it this way I wouldn't be shocked if he started game two of you know the division series. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I would be totally shocked by that either. I think we all knew that he had this type of ability in him, and we saw it in flashes at different points over the last two seasons. Um, but what we haven't really seen is uh, consistency to this degree and his stuff be quite this devastating. I mean, right now, through 35.1 innings pitched, um, he has 42 strikeouts. Um, and what has been really interesting about um, watching him is that, and, and from hearing other people talk about this as well, is his stuff is um, fairly similar to Chris Sale's stuff in terms of just like purely the velocity and the pitch mix that he throws. And I wonder how much of the influence of having um, uh, of having Chris Sale uh, on the team. Um, you know, has impacted his growth as a player because it, clearly he is doing something differently this year. I wonder if it's pace or, or, or anything like that. But I mean, he really does throw very similar stuff um, to Chris Sale. And, you know, you wouldn't we wouldn't say that his stuff is quite as devastating, but um, it's pretty effective. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely effective. Um, Remy, I almost said Remy and Arcillo. Oh, sadness. Uh, <laughs> Remy and Dave O'Brien were talking about um, this very topic on the broadcast today um, and, and basically talking about how Sale was having a positive impact on Rodriguez, how Sale's – I mean, we've all watched Sale. You know, he works very quickly. And, you know, I think Rodriguez has, has – it seems like anecdotally anyway, picked it up a little bit. Um, this uh, this season, uh, Fangraphs has a a stat called pace, uh, and I don't know exactly how it's calculated, so um, I hesitate to use it. But I will throw it out there. Last year, um, Rodriguez's pace was twenty three point four. Uh, this year, it's twenty five point three. Um, so there is that, and I'm looking up sales right now. Uh, sales this year is 20.4. So I don't know if that's um, seconds in between pitches. It must be, I, yeah. Uh, I probably shouldn't quote a stat that I don't really know what it means. <laughs> uh, shut up, Matt. Anyway, um, uh, I now I forget your question. Well done. Well, well done. Well just about the similarities of stuff and and i'm looking at it right now the the pitch mix from these two guys um you know chris sales throws a little bit harder um for his fastball yeah. by about a mile an hour on average um, he throws more he spikes does. he I think does he throws more spikes. um yep. and i think a, a huge difference between chris sale and and just about every other pitcher in baseball um is deception um i think that's an an underrated aspect of uh, of pitching, and it's it's sort of I got into a discussion about this on Twitter today. Um, it's an I think that's the reason that Joe Kelly, despite his uh, great stuff, uh, is not a very good pitcher. Uh, he has no deception whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, yeah see the ball cool. very well out of his hand. I mean, you see it well before I, it you know, even leaves his hand. I mean, right. you, you can follow it the entire way. Whereas with Chris Sale, you don't pick it up until after it's left his hand almost. Um, and so that makes, you know, 96, 97, you know, hundred, it seemed like 102 or 103 or something. I mean, I'm and anyway, so 
So I think that's a that's a tough comparison to make, just because Sale has been so incredible. But I, I do think that um, Rodriguez uh, has seemingly taken a, a step forward this year. Uh, you know, just in terms of his his command, and and um, I'm, you know, and and I, I should also mention, you know, he's been healthy. Right. You know, his yeah. knee hasn't been bothering him. He's not had any little aches and pains that have kept him out of the out of the um, you know the rotation. Um, and so, knock on wood, uh, I think that's allowing him to, you know, to, to build off of his starts in a way that we haven't really seen from him at the major league level yet. You know, there was the the injuries and the pitch tipping that he's gone through. Sorry, I've got a grandfather clock in here. I thought you were broadcasting from from church. <laughs> now that would be awesome. I should do that next time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be done in a second. Anyway. Um, so that's, uh, or maybe it won't be. Um, so anyway, that's, that's Rodriguez. I, I think sale is a tough comparison, but I think that, uh, I think Rodriguez is, is a, is a great three and, and, and a good, you know, a good two if he's pitching like this. Certainly. And, and, and certainly it probably doesn't hurt him to have somebody like sale to emulate and to learn from. And maybe, you know, a, a lot of what was talked about when the Red Sox acquired David Price in the off season last year um, was the impact that David Price will have on all the other pitchers. And I think it's possible that we're seeing the Chris Sale impact on all the other pitchers this year. Um, and, and one of those pitchers that might be being impacted by Sale or might just be impacted by the fact that he has run into some good health now that he might not have had in 2016 is Craig Kimbrell, um, who has been so startlingly good this year um, that his numbers are actually slightly better um, by a lot of metrics um, than they were in 2012, which was one of the greatest reliever seasons of all time. So while I'm not saying that Craig, Craig Kimbrell is going to keep that up for the rest of the year, um, right now he is actually the best version of Craig Kimbrell that we have ever seen. Um, and watching him throw immaculate innings, you know, nine strike uh, three out innings, nine pitches. It's crazy. It's insane. I, I just, this is so far from what I was expecting uh, from Chris Sale that, uh, from from Craig Kimbrell, sorry, um, that I just, I, I don't know what to make of it. You know, it's it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is actually. Um, he's he's been incredible. Um, I. I wish that I had thought to tweet this out, but um, ESPN Boston tweeted out a um, a list of the results of the last, I want to say, 13 uh, plate appearances. Um, eh, I don't know where it is. But anyway, um, that Sale has – the batters that Sale has faced, and, and they're all strikeouts except for one, which was an infield single that happened. Is this um, Kimbrell you're talking about? Kimbrell, yes, sorry. Kimbrell, um, yeah. Kimbrel. Um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. He's he's commanding his pitches. Um, he can get that the curveball over for for a strike. He can throw the fastball, you know, up and down, in and out. Uh, it's. I was really terrified after last season that you know the walks were just going to become all consuming with him. Yeah, me um, too. I, he cost so many games with the walks last year. It seemed yeah. like key situations he just could not be trusted. No, he he couldn't throw a strike a lot of the time. I mean, there was times when he would just 
flash like that, you know, like the guy the Red Sox were hoping to get when they got him. Um, and you know, he would, he would have two or three appearances in a row and you're like, Oh, maybe he's turned the corner and he would strike out like, I mean, you know, seven out of 10 guys, like something ridiculous, uh, and, and walk one or something. And this year, and then he would just revert right back to, you know, spiking the curveball and throwing it way out of the zone. And, um, but this year he, he's getting both pitches over for strikes when he wants to. And it's, man, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I, I have to say, I, I still think that they paid way too much to get him. Um, and uh, I, I don't love the idea of making trades like that for relievers. I mean, we've seen the Red Sox success with, um, you know, acquiring relievers for, for good prospects is, is not a good one. <laughs> it's not a good track record. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's, you know, certainly in the moment, he's fun to watch. And, for a team that expects to, you know, be in the playoffs, I think there's a lot of value to having a guy like that. Um, if you can only guarantee he can hold it together for a full season. Yeah, um, I mean, if we're gonna go back to the trade value thing, if he does end up pitching like this for the entirety of this year, I think that that totally changes the equation for me because we didn't see anything close to this in 2016. Um, from him so if in 2017 we get the best version of him ever and he can do things like he did today which i think is worth talking about Farrell has now used him twice in the past six games um in non-save situations essentially as a fireman where he would come in to face the toughest batters today he got five outs um if he's playing that type of a role an andrew miller-esque role uh, pitching 1.2 innings against the toughest batters or the highest leverage situations. I mean, I think that goes a long way for making up for it, right? Yeah, I mean, his value can play up depending on usage, I would say. Um, you know, if Farrell is going to use him in situations like he did today. Um, so it, it, just to set this up a little bit, so it was one-to-one. Um, the Red Sox had had a bunch of runners on base over the course of the earlier innings of the game, but weren't able to get any hits. They left the bases loaded twice. Um, and it was, so it was one-to-one in the, uh, in the eighth inning and, uh, Matt Barnes came out of the bullpen, um, got the first out. And then the second batter was, I forget who it was, but it Milwaukee pinch hit Eric, Eric Thames for him. Yep. Um, Thames. And, Thames uh, is how it's pronounced, apparently. Thames, I'm sorry. Eric Thames. Uh, is that right? Thames? Uh, that, that is what I hear. Okay. You can just uh, call him the god from, from South Korea. He's good. Uh, so anyway, uh, Thames, Thames, whoever it is, is is coming to bat. He's their best hitter. Um, you know, We've all heard about what a menace he's been so far this year. And I was totally expecting Farrell to just stick with Barnes there. And it wouldn't have shocked me if we had a you know a replay of the Joe Maurer home run from uh, earlier in the road uh, swing um, that uh, that lost that game in the ninth inning for the Red Sox. Um, and instead, uh, so you know what is this a batter or two in? Um, you know Farrell comes out of the dugout and 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 nabs uh, nabs Barnes and brings in brings in Kimbrel. It was an amazing amazing sight to see i i was blown away um 
I think I was more surprised at that than I was at any other aspect of that, you know, that game. Anything else that happened in that game, I did not expect Burrell to do that. And and it was it was genius. I mean, you know, we've talked about Farrell's, um, you, you know, aspects, uh, good aspects of, of his, uh, you know, managerial resume, things he's good at. Um, and I think most of them are not in-game management. Yeah. Exactly. Most of them. Yeah. You know, most of them are, uh, you know, probably clubhouse related. Um, maybe there's organizational stuff in there as well. Um, but you know, he, he, I think he has, um, a lot of things to recommend him as a manager, but I don't think necessarily, um, bullpen management is one of them. And today he, uh, you know, he shoved those words right, right down my throat. I, I thought he was, uh, he was brilliant, and he may have won the game for the Red Sox. Um, yeah, you know, I completely in, agree. I, I mean, I, I think that this is a step in, in his evolution. You know, we talk about players developing and, and learning and getting better. I mean, it's possible that John Farrell, after seeing what Terry Francona did in last year's playoffs, has softened to the idea of doing that, and especially it makes it a whole lot easier to do that when you have a guy like Craig Kimbrell pitching as well as he is. And I think it's fair... For us to say that, like, we we probably are pretty critical about John Farrell, and we were certainly pretty critical of Craig Kimbrell coming into this season with good reason. But we need to give credit where credit is due. I mean, both of those guys performed uh, perfectly today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so uh, coming into this season. Um, the, the three players on the Red Sox that I was probably most down on uh, were, and aside from David Price, because he was dealing with the injury stuff, were Craig Kimbrell, um, Hanley Ramirez, who I wasn't sure what we were going to get out of him with his shoulder issues, and then Drew Pomerantz. And to this point, I've been pleasantly surprised by all three of those guys to varying degrees. I'm wondering how you felt about those guys and if there are any players on the Red Sox roster um, that you have changed your opinion on in this early go? Um, I'm optimistic about Ramirez. I was optimistic about him being able to, to hit. He's, you know, he's had some injuries in his career, um, but, you know, when he's had some semblance of health, he's pretty much always hit. I think he's had a down year or two. Um, but you know, for the most part, he's he's hit, and last year isn't wholly out of line with what he's done in his career. So I was optimistic he'd be able to turn in another season similar to last year's. Um, I'm a little disappointed that he's sort of I don't know if he's outright refusing to do it, but it seems like he's refusing to play first base, um, which is you know problematic from a, a roster standpoint. Yeah. But you know, if he's going to hit. Um, then, which he hasn't really done to date, but I'm expecting more from him. Uh, but if he's going to hit, then I ultimately, it, it, you know, you can put up with it um, in, in the same sort of way that, you know, the Red Sox never asked David Ortiz after, you know, the first, I don't know, whatever it was, five years uh, that he was on the team to play first base other than occasionally, you know, in a National League ballpark. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I completely echo your uh concerns over Pomerantz and uh and Kimbrel. Um this is more or less what I was thinking Pomerantz would do. 
have some good games and some stinkers. But my concern with him is really more health related. I think he's going to be a perfectly fine four or five, uh, you know, flashing three, flashing six, um, as long as he's healthy. But I don't completely trust him to be healthy. And I think that's the that's the big problem with him. Um, if you know, and and again, to not to get into this again, but you know, the big problem with that trade um, is, you know, it totally makes sense if, if Pomerantz can be out on the on the hill every five days. But I I think it's fair to question whether or not he's going to be able to do that all year. So, um, you know, and and as far as Kimbrel goes, you know, we just talked about that. I've so far I've been a hundred percent wrong about him and and am so happy to be wrong about him too. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, all the signs pointed towards a a career trajectory pointing downwards for Craig. So the fact that he has rebounded and become uh, better than he has ever been to this point is shocking and something that we certainly couldn't have expected. I don't think anybody really expected this, but I agree with you. I I think that of all three of those guys, um, the one still to be, sort of concerned about is Pomerantz to this point and the Baseball America updated top 100 prospect rankings came out today and Anderson Espinosa uh, is ranked 29th there he's still 19 years old so if you're going to get a fourth or a fifth starter for him um, still doesn't seem quite worth it to me uh, for that trade so I still don't love that one but you know Pomerantz's stuff has looked better um, than I thought it would. And honestly, I was so down on him that I thought he might not even pitch this year uh, too, too much because of the injury that he had been dealing with as well. So I don't know. I mean, mostly positive things um, for this team lately. And I know it doesn't quite feel that way because it's not like the Red Sox have been really running away with you know the division or anything like that. They've been looking up at the Orioles and the Yankees pretty much all season long. But I haven't felt a sense of doom about this team at all even as they haven't quite kind of gotten it all together it feels like the best baseball is still yet to come for these guys which is kind of cool uh and and kind of an interesting way to feel right now at this point in the season yeah i agree um i I mean if you look at um you know the the other i don't know what the orioles are really doing i mean they've kind of they're doing their typical sort of it seems like smoke and mirrors kind of thing like you know some of their best hitters are not really hitting uh and their pitching is you know <laughs> kind of mediocre and and yet there they are up on the top like okay um you know and the the yankees have uh you know everybody on on that team is is really hitting um i mean they're getting some ridiculous ridiculous performances from you know aaron judge who is basically doing um, a Mike Trout plus added power kind of thing. Um, and Aaron Hicks, the, uh, twins, um, ex twins prospect is, is hitting like Mike Trout. Um, you know, they've got, uh, you know, Gary Sanchez has not even really played much. Uh, he's only think, I think been in 10 games and he's hit well. Uh, but you know, you'd expect maybe more from him given what he did last year. They, they've been getting, you know, Really, the only guy on that whole team who hasn't hit is Greg Bird, who is their first baseman. Um, and I think they've had Matt Holiday over there. And Matt Holiday is, you know, having a ridiculous start to his season too. He's he's crushing the ball. So um, I, I'm expecting, you know, a lot of this team to take a step back offensively. 
um, you know, pitcher injuries should they uh, you know should they show up for the Yankees would be pretty devastating. They don't they don't have much in the way I don't think of of uh, you know of depth um, in their rotation. Um, so you know they haven't won the division yet, um, and you know you noted that the you know the Red Sox haven't played their best baseball yet. I I completely agree with that. Um, you know guys like. Uh, you know, I think I think there's probably more power in in Bogarts. You know, Pedroia's been getting on base, but he hasn't hit for much power at all. Um, you know, we haven't seen really anything from Bradley. It it's been a weird year for Mookie in the sense that like his numbers I think are really good, um, but it just doesn't feel like he's had like he's been hitting that well uh, to me anyway. I think that he um, maybe it's unfair to put this on a guy who's hitting. Well, he's actually hitting better than this, but um, 300, 376, 496 coming into Thursday. Um, but I feel like he's got more in the tank than that. Um, you know, and, and Hanley has been kind of a league average bat. I think he's better than that. So anyway, on and on. I, I think the Red Sox can can uh, can turn this up a little bit. And um, there's going to be some regression from other teams in their in their division, which is really probably what I should have said in the beginning instead of uh, prattling on and on and on as I did. Um, so to, to get to your point about the Yankees, I completely agree that they are going to uh, see a big regression back to the mean. I, I, I think that even a guy like Gary Sanchez, who we saw be really, really impressive um, for about a half a season last year, um, yeah. the, the league is still going to adjust to him too. And the, the thing that Yankees fans don't understand is that like not all of these guys are going to come up and be Derek Jeter, but... I think that most Yankees fans are 100% convinced that Gary Sanchez, uh, Aaron Judge, um, and some of the other young kids that are coming up for these guys, Aaron Hicks, I don't know if they put him in that category, but I mean, they think that all these guys are going to pan out and be the next great set of Yankees, and that just might not be true. But I have to say, it is kind of an embarrassment of riches uh, that they have. I mean, I, I mentioned the Baseball America rankings that just came out. They had Glaber Torres as the second-ranked prospect in all of baseball. They have Clint Frazier at 33, another outfielder for them. Blake Rutherford at 37, another outfielder. Um, they have Justice Sheffield, a pitcher, at 85. Um, and then they've got two pitchers to, to round it out, Jordan Montgomery and Chance Adams uh, at 99 and 100. So while I don't think that those arms that I mentioned are likely to be impact arms, I mean, there's still a lot of impact talent that could be coming up for those guys. But bottom line is the league is going to adjust back and adjust back really freaking hard to the Yankees. And I can't wait for that to happen. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I, I think uh, the one thing that, that you know, the start to the season has, has sort of told us is that the Red Sox I, – I, I thought there was a chance that the Red Sox were going to run away with the East. And I think that's not – clearly not going to happen at this point. Um you know whether whether the Yankees and Orioles are unsustainable um, or not. It, it seems like you know they both put themselves in positions where um, you know where they can be competitive this year at minimum um, and outright win the division. You know uh, in a best case scenario for those teams. So I I think that it's going to be uh it's going to be a fun season. Um, you know battling with those guys, those uh, those teams in the AL East. Whereas I think you know before I, I kind of expected it not to be, you know, it more to be like, you know, waiting around for the playoffs. Um, mm. and, you know, in a, in a certain, 
you know, as, as fun as that can be, uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a little domination here and there. Yeah. Um, 2007 style. That was nice. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a, those are fun memories for sure. But, uh, but you know, battling down, down the, uh, the stretch and, and you know, crossing the wire just ahead of one of them is, uh, or both of them, um, you know, would, would be a lot of fun too. So, um, I'm, I'm optimistic that, uh, the Red Sox still have the, the best team in the division, but, it should be a, it should be a more fun race now, I guess. It'll be really telling to see um, what Brian Cashman does at the deadline here, because he'll really give himself away at the deadline if they feel like mm-hmm. this is a team that can contend and, you know, possibly be in it this year. He will buy, but I would bet. I mean, if I had to put a number on it, I would say there's an 85% chance. Uh, that the Yankees don't add anything at the deadline. And I think it's just as likely um, that they actually sell off some of the older players who are having good years. I mean, they've got guys like Chase Headley, whose deal is coming to an end pretty soon, performing awesome. And uh, Brett Gardner's having a really good season. I would not be surprised. And I think that they're still thinking a couple of years down the road. So I don't feel like they're quite... Um, to the point where they even believe they can contend. I can't see them going out and spending exorbitantly for like another arm or anything like that. Um, getting back to the Sox on this point, though, there are still two spots on the Sox that I think there's a fair amount of concern. One of them is center field, the situation that's been going on with Jackie Bradley. He's just been slumping like crazy. And then the other situation is third base. So I guess let's start with third base because we just finished the series uh, in Milwaukee, and we ran into old friend uh, Travis Shaw there. Travis Shaw is playing awesome baseball right now. How did you feel watching Travis Shaw perform both competently with the glove and with the bat at third base this week? Um, Well, you know, given where the Red Sox are, uh, you certainly, you know, miss having a guy like Travis Shaw. Um, and it's, this is a point that I made, uh, at BP Boston last Friday. Um, you know, the Dombrowski really destroyed the depth at third base to, uh, you know, to acquire some relievers, um, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that, um, Tyler, I can't even think of his name, the guy they got for Shaw, uh, Thornburg, Thornburg, jeez. Well, he hasn't run a pitch for the Red Sox yet. So right, maybe it's easy to um, forget at this point. Him and Carson Smith can go hang out and get an apartment together or something. Yeah, <laughs> go rehab. Um, so it's uh, it, it's tough to look at what the Red Sox have at third base now. I mean, they have a, a lot of guys, uh, but really nobody who can do everything that needs to be done there. Um, and this isn't to say that Travis Shaw was you know the end all and be all. Um, but you know, even if he wasn't hitting and he was not hitting last year, you know, as the season, um, came to a close, you know, his second half was, was pretty bad. Um, but he could actually play the position defensively. Um, and you know, the, the overall, um, contribution that he made wasn't bad. Uh, he didn't, he didn't hurt the team. He wasn't a net positive last year. But he he didn't hurt the team either. Um, I don't know if you know he's 27 and he's playing in the National League, so maybe the pitchers don't know him as well. 
it's entire, you know, maybe he's taking advantage of, of his new ballpark in a way that, um, you know, maybe, maybe it plays to his swing better than Fenway did. I, I don't know, but, um, he's, he's hitting really well. He's, he's got a, a 118 OPS plus he's got, um, what is it? Seven homers. And 26 big RBIs that the Red Sox could certainly use at this point. And it's not to say that they would be that he would have those numbers with them, but I think the thing that stuck out to me most was he only has four errors at third base this year. We would kill for four errors at third base right now. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is that's a lot. Um, I you know, four errors in 31 games. That's that's a lot. But but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Red Sox have like 13 at the position yeah, right now. Yeah, number of errors. I mean, Sandoval had, uh, you know, a, a bunch of uh, errors and then went on the DL, and it's it's just been uh, an embarrassment since then. Really, they 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 just the problem is they just don't have anybody between Sandoval and um, and Raphael Devers who just came up to Double A. Yep. To start the year and. There's nobody in the pipeline um, who you could put at third base for the Red Sox and expect anything like league average production, um, either defensively or offensively. Um, well, let me back up. Maybe um, it, it's possible that if Brock Holt was uh, healthy, that he or Josh Rutledge could play the position defensively on an average level. That's yeah, possible. Those guys are okay. They, they all have their limitations. Like Brock Holt's arm is certainly a limitation at third base, but you're right. They're, they're not guys who would come up and be completely egregious at the position. But I think you speak to a larger hit. point though, is the, the thing about giving up this type of depth and this type of control for a guy who can swing between first and third and hit for a little bit of pop and play both positions to a decent level defensively is that when injury strikes at all, you're in a situation like this where Devin Marrero is on the roster. Um, yeah. and, and Devin Marrero comes up and he plays his first game during a Chris Sale start, and I'm all jazzed up. I'm tweeting on Twitter like, oh, this is great. We can finally get some defense, and especially with Chris Young in the game, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute, you know, left field and center field aren't going to be an issue offensively. So, yeah, what the hell? You know, let's let's play Marrero, and then Marrero makes a friggin' error or two in his first game up. So uh, it just goes to show that a, a good shortstop or a good second baseman isn't necessarily uh, going to be a good third baseman there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of sucks not having that and then not having the, the other side of it too with, with Tyler Thornburg being out. So... You know, we won't harp on that too much, but I do want to talk about the, the center field situation because obviously Jackie Bradley Jr. is amazing with his glove, but we well, have Jake, seen... Before we, before we go sure. on, can, can we can we talk a little bit about like what third base is going to be, um, you know, towards the... I, I'm actually curious to hear your opinion on, on you know, what what is the answer here at third base? I mean, I, can we keep middling along with what they have? Do they need to get somebody um, from outside the organization do you think that Devers is ready to, uh, you know, to step up? That's been a big conversation on on Red Sox Twitter and on message boards and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, my take on it is this: I don't think that Devers is going to be ready to step up. I think he could get a cup of coffee late in the year, um, but I think that they want to be careful with his development because with Devers, what we've seen from him over his minor league career is um, halves, halves where he does really well and halves where he does really poorly. We haven't really seen a full season of Rafael Devers where he has 
crushed it from the start to the finish. And I think they want to see that here. He's obviously looked really, really good with the bat early on. Um, you know, we're not going to mistake this guy for Manny Machado with the glove at third base. So while he might come up and fill in uh, admirably with the glove, I think he's closer defensively to a guy like Travis Shaw than he is to a Manny Machado. And that's not to say he's Travis Shaw with the glove. He's certainly better than that. Um, but I don't think that they want to rush his development. Um, I would not hesitate if I was the Red Sox if this team is in a good position um, towards the uh, All-Star break uh, to make a very minor trade for some third base depth. And I'm talking like a glove first guy who really can't hit all that well, but maybe is, you know, a decent side of a platoon um, to play with someone there, a guy who could fill in and, um, you know, start some games if you need him to. But I can't see the club addressing this need as, you know, going out and trading for an impact talent guy. Because I think that Devers has the inside track to the job in 2018, for sure. I think that's mostly right. I wouldn't be shocked if Devers didn't start the year because of service time, you know, in 2018. Sure, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked by that either. But, yeah, I think, I think you know, he's definitely the future at the position, Um with the caveat that um, the Red Sox general manager team president is Dave Dombrowski, and Dave Dombrowski loves big names and doesn't think a whole lot of prospects, and we have seen that, um, you know, play out in an extreme fashion since Dombrowski took over the team. Um, you know, the name that obviously pops up although he's on the DL now, is Josh Donaldson. I mean, with the Blue Jays struggling, um, I think Donaldson has a year and a half to go before he's a free agent. You know, that kind of thing. I I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if Donaldson ended up on the Red Sox. Um, but uh, I would not be shocked, or I would be less shocked, I'll put it this way, <laughs> if uh, Dombrowski decided that, you know, the Red Sox needed some – star third baseman who I can't think of right now and ended up trading Devers for him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would be I very disappointed, uh, very disappointed, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked. If, if there are two bigger name guys that I think could be a very, very faint uh, possibility of, of coming to the Red Sox, I think two guys are Adrian Beltre, who has already played here doesn't have much time left on his deal. And with Joey Gallo playing pretty well for the Rangers this year, I could see that as a potential possibility. Um, and the other the other name there is Todd Frazier with the White Sox, who hasn't really been playing all that well this year. Uh, those are two guys I think they could trade for. I don't really believe the Mike Moustakis talk there because I don't think he's quite good enough. But if they could get one of these guys for a package of B-level prospects, you know, certainly not including the Rafael Devers of the world. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that, and especially a guy like Beltre. I mean, if you can get a half season of Beltre going into the playoffs, you're adding a, a potent bat and a great glove uh, for down the stretch and a veteran presence that you know, you know what you're getting there. I mean, he played awesome for the Sox when he was here. Granted, that was a few years ago, but he's still he's still a great player. No, Beltre is a really interesting name to. Um... To, to throw on the pile there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm expecting that if Sandoval can't stay healthy and, or can't field the position, 
uh, two things which he's pretty much failed at so far this year, despite his, you know, his improved conditioning, um, then I'm expecting Dombrowski to go out and find somebody else who can play. And, and I don't know whether that means Sandoval gets put on the bench, um, you know, a phantom long-term DL stint or whether they, uh, you know, just, just cut him straight up. I mean, if he can't play the position and he can't hit, he's not doing anybody any good. Yeah. Um, by, by taking up a roster spot. So, so maybe, uh, you know, maybe that happens. I, I think best case scenario for the Red Sox is he comes back and he, he hits, I, which I honestly, I kind of think he was doing beforehand. I think he was just running into some bad battered ball luck. He was hitting the ball pretty hard and not getting a lot to show for it. Um, I agree. It, I, I felt the same way. I thought he looked pretty solid when he was up there making contact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's certainly a flawed player at this point. Um, you know, he doesn't hit from the right side really at all. And uh, he's got very little range, even even with the improved conditioning. But if he can hit from the from the left side, then maybe it's okay. Maybe you platoon him with somebody, and then you know fix it next off season. But um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I don't think you can see them addressing this in any any big way with Devers on his way up. I want to throw two more names out there too. Um, mm-hmm. The Athletics um, have a fairly deep third base situation. Not a very good one, but fairly deep. Um, well, with, the Red Sox with, have a deep third base situation too, and also not a good one. Well, th- these names are going to make you uh, uh, a lot more excited than, than Sandoval. They've got Ploof, they've got Healy, and they have Chapman, who is a prospect over there. All of those guys can play and hit a little bit. Um, so I, I mean, I can't imagine those guys being very expensive, maybe a couple of your relief arms, maybe a package of like, uh, Aniri Tavares and Jalen Beeks or something like that to, to go get one of those guys. And while you might miss Beeks as a lefty reliever in the future, I I don't know if that would stop Dombrowski from, you know, filling a need if, if the possibility arose down the road. You know how certain guys, their names just sound like they belong on a certain team? Yeah. Jalen Beek sounds like an Oakland A, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. He really I think we could like... be on to something there. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah. let's uh, let's shift gears here. I want to talk about that, that Jackie Bradley Jr. situation that I alluded to. Um, oh, yeah. Right, great right, with right. the glove. Uh, as we know, we don't have to talk about that. Um, but – Man, this guy gets cold and he gets hot. Um, and when he's cold, it is just awful. He gives you beyond nothing with the bat. He doesn't even get on base. It's it's so bad um, when he gets this way. Um, and one of the things that Farrell has not been shy about doing lately is playing Chris Young out there and having a combination of Young, uh, Benintendi in center field, and uh, Mookie in right field. I actually really like this because I don't think you give up that much defensively like certainly Benintendi is not Jackie Bradley Jr but also that's still a plus defensive outfield in my estimation um and the bats are are working when that alignment is out there so what do you think about that and you think that's something that we could see a little bit more and maybe maybe Jackie isn't the everyday guy that we thought he was yeah I don't know um I I actually am pretty high on Chris Young's bat um, he, he hit incredibly well last year and he, you know, a little bit of a slow start this year, but he's started to turn it on. 
So I, I like the idea of getting him into the lineup more. I think the best iteration of the Red Sox, though, is one with Jackie Bradley in the lineup most days. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if he's going to hit below 200 with a, you know, a 260 on base percentage and, and very little power, it's hard to write his name in the lineup all the time. But, you know, it, it's still still pretty early. Um, I think I think you got to keep running him out there, you know, maybe limit him a little bit against tough lefties if he's having trouble against lefties. But um, I, I don't remember who the pitcher was that he faced today. But uh, I mentioned earlier in, in today's game, Thursday, May 11th, the um, the Red Sox left the bases loaded twice. And one of those, they had the bases loaded with one out and Bradley was up. Was that against and- Jimmy Nelson? No, it was Knabel. Oh, yeah, yep. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but but anyway, he he threw I think six pitches to Bradley in the at bat, and they were all at the top of or well above the strike zone, and he got to a point where he got Bradley to swing and miss at one pitch, and then. The other, it threw three balls that one of which was, you know, well over Bradley's head that Bradley didn't swing at. He didn't swing at any of those balls. And so it was a three, one count. And he threw a pitch that was just below Bradley's shoulders and Bradley swung and missed at it. These are all fast. Balls, all yeah. of them. And it was three and two. And it was like, you know, you're looking at the little, um, you know, chart of where the pitches have, have crossed the strike zone in the bottom right corner of the screen. And you're just like, I know that he's going to go upstairs with the fastball. Guaranteed. The question is, is Bradley going to swing at it? If he swings at it, he's going to miss it. If he doesn't swing at it, he's walking. He swung at it, and he missed. And so it's three fastballs upstairs, swing, swing, swing. I mean, it seems like the book is out on him here. (laughs) Uh, Now, you know, not everybody throws 97 like whatever that guy's name is. So that maybe that particular chapter in the book isn't open to everybody um, who Bradley faces. But that seemed like a pretty naked attempt, you know, uh, to to strike Bradley out or um, I'm not saying it exactly right. But but it was yeah, uh, to punch him out on a high fastball like he knew he was going to chase that. So he went to it. And it's like there, one of yeah. the more obvious things you could throw in that situation. And yeah, it just still no didn't deception. matter. There was no deception. I mean, right. he could have yelled, high fastball coming before every pitch, and the result of the at-bat would have been exactly the same. So let me tell you what's troubling about Jackie. Last year he had the best season of his career, and, and one of the ones that made us say, hey, you know, like maybe this is a bat that can that can play for a long time and actually be a plus. Yeah. Um, he had a month in June of 2016 where he batted 218. He had a month in August of 2016 where he batted 198, and then in September and October he batted 237. Um, He did have the incredibly hot May where he batted 381, Um, and then he had July where he batted 298, but he is prone to getting cold for stretches at a time, and if we go back to 2015, um, there are months where he was 354 in August. And then in September and October, over 31 games, so a slightly larger sample size than the 24 games in August, he hit 216. So it seems like 
this is the guy that he is. You know, he's he's going to give you nothing for tremendous stretches. And maybe the right thing to do is what Farrell is doing, is when he gets in these stretches, instead of letting him go out and, you know, screw up that lineup spot for the team for, I don't know, three weeks at a time, spell him and let him play twice a week during these slumps. And well, the question is, Jake, what is the – and I don't know the answer to this, and I maybe you do, but um, what is the best way to get him from those cold streaks into a hot streak? Because we've seen – I mean, last year he was basically a five-win player with defense and offense, which you know is incredibly valuable. He was a he was a reason that you know the Red Sox had a successful regular season, um, and I you know I don't know how you how you make that transition. Like you know, does he get there by playing? Does he get there by working off the field? Um, you know, does he get his, in his own head? I I don't know what the answer is, but you know the Red Sox need to figure that out because you're right. If, if running him out there isn't moving him towards one of those hot streaks, um, then yeah, then they're not helping themselves for sure. Right. And I, I, I um, don't think that there's any evidence that it has in the past and maybe w- what the solution is here. And I'm just spitballing is instead of letting these things prolong and just go and go and go until, you know, one day they stop if you catch them a little bit earlier and sit him down and be like, hey, you know, here's where your approach is going wrong right now, and he has three out of the five games or three out of the six games, whatever it is, to actually sit back, watch film, and look at other people's approaches and take a mental break from it, maybe that will snap him out of these things. So maybe instead of having these stretches where it's a month long, maybe you have a week or two every couple of months that you have to, you know, play without Jackie for most of the time in order to kind of mentally reset him. Um, because it's clear that what they've tried is not a great solution, right? Um, I don't know if I would say it's clear because what they're trying now is what they tried last year and they got a five win season out of him. So, and I would also say that he's not going to get hot from the bench you're going to have to play him if you want to get production from him. So, you know, I, I think, I mean, your point about minimizing his di- the damage he causes in from these cold streaks is well taken. I, I'm, you know, I, I just don't know the, that sitting him down is, is doing that. Maybe it is. I feel like this is one of those questions we're not really going to be able to answer here. We kind of have to be on the inside. Yeah. Um, you know, to see, you know, what's in his head, what, you know, the, the, the minutia of his mechanics, um, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, you know, the Red Sox coaching staff should be all over that. That's, you know, that's their job. And, and we're not, we're not close enough to him that we can, I think, really make an accurate assessment on that. Um, so you're saying but, we need to get chili on the show. <laughs> I mean, I'd be all for it. Um, but I, I, I tend to err kind of on the opposite side from you. I, I tend to think that the way that guys get out of cold streaks is by playing. Um, now, obviously if he's injured, you know, that, that calculus is different. Um, if he's in his own head, I mean, certainly guys can, can benefit from sitting down. That's that I'm not saying they can't, but, um, but I, I tend to think that, you know, cold streaks are, are, 
um, you know, ended by playing, you know, by, by fighting through them. And, and, uh, you know, we've seen this both before from Xander, we've seen it from, from Mookie, um, you know, guys that just stay in the lineup and, and, you know, eventually, eventually they start hitting again. Um, I, so I agree with you. I think that that's an old baseball adage that is mostly true. And I think it's true in basketball too. You know, shooters don't stop shooting when they're cold. They keep shooting because because that's what they do but i think that we have seen enough of jackie bradley do this for such long stretches of time that unlike a xander unlike a mookie Betts, he doesn't seem to have the ability to swiftly pull himself out um no i agree i agree and and that is that is the the sole reason why i think that there there's another solution possibly in there and like you said I don't know enough about it to say what that solution is, but certainly it'll be interesting to see how Farrell and Chile and the Red Sox adapt to this because it's clear that they're taking a different tact with it than they had in the past, spelling him quite a bit earlier so far this season. Yeah, well, I think, and I think you're exactly right, I I think that the addition of Andrew Benintendi really changes the calculus because Benintendi can play center field. Whereas before they really didn't have somebody who was a true center fielder. I mean, Mookie could play there, but you know, Mookie is at this point really a right fielder. Um, and so I, I think adding Benintendi who, who is really a center fielder, um, you know, and, and, you know, moving young to left, um, where, whereas before you were playing him in, you know, in, uh, in right field with, uh, with Betson center. I, I anyway, I, I think that that lineup, that, with Benintendi in center is, is a much stronger one. Um, it, it minimizes the the defensive damage from having Bradley out of the lineup. And so it, you know, that in, in a way changes the calculus for the Red Sox and allows them to sit Bradley more when he's in these, you know, these cold spells. Um, now, whether ultimately that is better for Bradley or not, again, I just don't know the answer to that. Yeah, um, and it's a damn good defensive lineup even with him out of there, which is the thing that makes that sort of a luxury that the Red Sox have. Yeah, it's 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 fine. It's good. Um, I think they're a lot better with with Bradley in, but you know the value of a good defensive left fielder in Boston just isn't really that much uh, that. I think it makes um, a giant difference. So, um, but I, I, you know, I really like Bradley's defense in center field. I, I think that you know he's a, you know, he's a definitely a top five defensive center fielder in baseball. And yeah. uh, so that's you know I think that's a significant loss, um, especially considering, you know, the the makeup the the ground ball fly ball makeup of the Red Sox staff i mean they have a lot of fly ball pitchers you know we were talking before I, i'm not before but um you know in the previous years we were talking about the red Sox, you know uh, having a ground ball heavy uh rotation and they really kind of moved away from that pomerantz is a fly ball guy rodriguez is a fly ball guy sale is a fly ball guy um and considering you know the their infield defense which is pretty iffy <laughs> especially you know at third base especially on that left side yeah yeah that left side is pretty rough i mean i i love pedroia he's getting a little older 
Um, you know, Moreland has looked fine at first base. He's obviously a, you know, a major league caliber first baseman. I haven't seen anything fantastic from him over there at all. And he's made a couple errors. Um, I, so, you know, playing into the, you know, the more balls hit into the outfield versus the infield, um, as long as they're catchable, I, I'm, uh, I'm all for that. Yeah. It um, certainly makes on having, you know, this, this amazing defensive outfielder or outfield setup where you've got three guys who are, um, you know, plus defensive center fielder or, or plus defensive outfielders, which I'm not sure Chris Young really is. Um, even, even though, even after saying left field defense is in Fenway is not that valuable, it, it still is valuable at some level. Yeah, I agree. Especially with, uh, you know, with, with Jackie out there, it gives you an added degree of, of excellence that you don't have with the other guys. And, you know, we've seen all the stat cast catches that he makes. It's you know, the catch probabilities are, are crazy sometimes on plays that he makes look rather easy. Um, He's really, really good. So, I mean, I think that, you know, that put, puts a finer point on, uh, you know, on the Red Sox coaching staff, you know, Chili Davis and, and, and Farrell, um, you know, diagnosing these cold streaks uh, more quickly and, and getting, I mean, he doesn't have to be a 400, 600, 900 guy, uh, but, you know, just getting some league average offense out of him occasionally would be, would be really nice. So, yeah, definitely. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that situation shakes out, but, you know, we'll, we'll have a better idea of what their plan is going forward in the next few weeks. Um, we are uh, running a little bit long, so we're going to start wrapping things up here. Um, for all of you guys out there, you can subscribe to us on uh, iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, you can rate and review us there as well. You can find Matt on Twitter at MattyMatty2000. You can find myself on Twitter at DevJake. Um, and we will aim to be with you earlier in the week, uh, next week at our typical time. Um, but... Matt, it was great getting to come on here and talk about some real positives about the Red Sox. I feel like uh, we have a tendency to dissect the negative when we're on this show, but today we talked about a lot of really cool stuff, and you know, I think we're going to see a lot of good baseball this year. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's shaping up to be a fun season. Maybe not exactly as the you know the fun season we expected, but but a, a fun and competitive season, and, and and those are not to be taken lightly. So uh, yeah, good good times, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, guys, enjoy the ride, and uh, Red Sox are all soon, so we'll see you then.